Add Beverly and Alan to the prayer list for salvation. Neighbors of ours, young couple from New York City. And um, it's nice people, but they need the Lord. Beverly and Alan. All right, I'm going to deviate from the long, long weeks we've had in Revelation. And it's because it seems like it seems like we've lost some momentum in Revelation. Although some have been anxious to learn about it, but uh, it seems like we've lost some momentum. So I'm going to take a break from that and then go to something else that is also important. Anytime you teach the Bible, it's important. And so um, we're going to go to the book of Psalms. And in Psalms, uh, I'm going to go to Psalms because I want you to come to a verse to begin from the New Testament. Come to the book of 1 Corinthians. This is the introduction to the reason we are going to the Psalms. Psalm chapter, uh, 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 to begin. And then we'll get to Psalms. Tonight's an introduction to the Psalms. And I'll give you some reasons why I would like to spend some time in the Psalms. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And there are 12 verses, 13 verses for us to look through. So let's take the Bibles and look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 1. Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. You know what? It's only 7.10. So... Are we recording already? Okay, good. And we're all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all did eat the same spiritual meat, and did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with many of them God was not well pleased, for they were all overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Neither be idolaters, as were some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of the serpent. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. And all these things happened unto them for examples. And they are written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. There hath no temptation taken you but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. Now there's much to be gained from reading the Old Testament. As the Apostle Paul wrote over here, you can learn a lot of things, a lot of truth from the New Testament church and New Testament Christian when you read about things of the Old Testament in its history, how the people responded to the Lord and how they backed and how they went into sin and how you should not go into sin in your life and your time because you look what happened to them. You learn from their mistakes. In other words, learn from their mistakes. Somebody said, experience is the best teacher, but for fools, it's the only teacher. In other words, you learn the hard way by repeating the mistakes of other people, the wise thing to do is to read the Old Testament, see how the people of God responded to God's commands, and when they did not, and when there was punishment, then you learn about what they did, and then the lesson is don't repeat what they did that was wrong, rather repeat what they did that was right. 
And so you learn a lot from the Old Testament. There's much to gain from reading the Old Testament. And the Apostle Paul said so. And Jesus himself said so as well. Turn to Matthew chapter 12 as introduced the book of Psalms. Matthew chapter 12 verse number 3. It says this. Matthew 12 3. But he said unto them, Have ye not read what David did when he was a hungered? Now, they were rebuked, scolded, because they did not know the Old Testament. These Pharisees tried to trick and trap the Lord. And he says, Have you not read the Old Testament? Did you not know what David did when he was a hungered? So have you not read? It's going back to what the Old Testament says. And he's, the Lord is saying, if you had known what the Old Testament says, you wouldn't have made the same mistakes. And in essence, you want to gain this. Read the Old Testament, not just the New Testament, because it is good for you. You will benefit a lot from the Old Testament. Now, the reason I am pushing through to the book of Psalms is because of an incident of another pastor years ago, decades ago, really, in another state, in a western state, and he got cancer. And because he got cancer, he was really feeling a little bit discouraged, to say the least. He was healthy and had a very large church, a good church, independent Baptist church, and uh, it took him by surprise. And so he was very caught off guard. And he could not think, he could not preach, he could not teach, he could not pray. He was just distracted. And so he was not himself. Could you appreciate the fact he was not himself because he had found that he had cancer? That's pretty distressing, wouldn't you say? So he said he began, this was, remember, a strong independent Baptist, King James only kind of a church pastor, good church, good man. But he said, I needed to go to the Psalms for my own encouragement. He said, I need to go to the Psalms and go through the Psalms, read the Psalms, meditate upon the Psalms over and over again because I needed to hear from the Psalms. So he began to teach the Psalms to his church. He says, I don't know if my church benefited from it. He said, but he did. So he was the main beneficiary of going through the Psalms because he needed it. Now, what do you learn about that? About that one example of this man who was a good man, spiritual man, Bible-believing man. And yet he was compelled to go to the book of Psalms for his own encouragement. And in turn, the whole church began to be encouraged too because they got their mind turned back to the book of Psalms. What you find out is these 150 Psalms are really songs. They are songs, they are hymns and poems that are to be sung to a stringed instrument. And uh, that's what the Psalms are. Uh, you'll find in the book of Psalms, life experiences. As this good pastor figured out, he knew the Bible, was straight in his doctrine, but he needed something to encourage his heart. And so he went to the book of Psalms, which is really what the book of Psalms is intended to do. Because the book of Psalms is about life experiences that real people go through. They have struggles, they have victories, they have happiness, they have joy, they have sorrow, they have disappointments, they have no hope. And so that's what the Psalms is about. And so this man, this pastor, who felt like, oh boy, God, why did you bring cancer into my life? I had good physicals. All of a sudden, I, I find out I have cancer? And so he was really knocked off of his pedestal, so to speak. And so he went to the book of Psalms to find some personal encouragement. It's because the Psalms address personal experiences, real problems that people have. 
David had problems. He had problems with his wives. That's right, he had many wives. He had too many wives. One was good, two was too many. He had several wives, several children through these wives. And although he was a man of the God's own heart, he made many mistakes. But one thing good about David, from the book of Psalms and also from Samuel and Kings, you find out that David's heart was always ready to ask God to forgive him. And so the Psalms, many of them written by David and other writers, they are songs, poems, and hymns to be sung in official worship, formal worship, and also with accompaniment, with an instrument. And so you find life experiences in the book of Psalms. For example, you find expressions of sins confessed. These are called penitential Psalms. I'm sorry, Lord. I'm sorry, Lord. I'm sorry, Lord. Please forgive me, God. There are Psalms about forgiveness, personal forgiveness. Uh, chapter 6, chapter 32, chapter 38, and chapter 51. Those are some well-known Psalms in which the writer, a lot of them are David, asks God for forgiveness. Isn't it true in life people need forgiveness? Amen. Isn't it true in life that you need forgiveness? Isn't it true in life that others need forgiveness by you? Everybody needs forgiveness. That's part of living. If you're alive, you do one thing if you're alive. You will If you're alive, you make mistakes. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I will tell you that is very true. If you're alive, you make mistakes. If you're dead, you make no mistakes. A corpse makes no mistakes. Living people make mistakes. I made one today. Only today. That's it for the whole year. Of course, you know, I'm joking. And if you're smiling with me, you know that I am joking and that you and I make mistakes all the time because we are alive. Now, you find expressions of sins confessed. It's a very healthy thing to ask God to forgive you every day. When should you ask God to forgive you? Every day. Sometimes every hour. Sometimes every minute. Sometimes as soon as you realize you've done something wrong, you've thought something wrong, and uh, you say, Lord, sorry, please forgive me. I'm sorry for that. I shouldn't have said that. And between people, when you offend someone and you quickly ask for forgiveness, that's very healthy. That's very healthy. And we have to be cautious about how we respond to people who offend us and how we offend people. But the Psalms are full of expressions of sins confessed. Also, you find the Psalms expressions of vengeance. Expressions of vengeance on David's enemies. Believe it or not, this good man after God's own heart had feelings of vengeance to punish his enemies, to wipe them out. David's a warrior. He's a fighting man. He's a military man. The way you win a battle is to kill your enemy. The way you win a battle is to disarm your enemy. The way you win the battle is to, to injure an enemy so that two or three other men are required to haul him off into the back lines for safety. And you take out effectively four people from the front lines. And that's the nature of war. And so I can understand his expression of vengeance. Psalm 35, 37, 69, and 79, plus four more psalms are about God. Get them and kill them. Lord, have vengeance for my sake. And he wants to have them done away with. Well, he's speaking as a man, as a soldier. And 
This is real experiences, real feelings, real emotions that a man feels. You also have expressions of the greatness of the scriptures. And the writer says, oh, the Bible is so great. You have those expressions too. Uh, look at Psalm chapter 19 as an example. Psalm chapter 19 as an example of the writer of the psalm telling us how great the scripture is. Psalm 19, verse number 7. Psalm 19, verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Verse 8. The statutes of the Lord are right. Notice it says the law of the Lord, that's the Bible in general, the scriptures, it is perfect, it can convert the soul, the testimonies of the Lord is sure, it makes you wise. Verse 8, the statutes, another name of the Bible, the statutes of the Lord are right. It rejoices the heart, rejoices in the heart. The commandment of the Lord, another name for the Bible, is pure, enlightening the eyes. Verse 9, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired, more to be desired than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. And so you find in verse number 11, Moreover, by them, the scriptures, is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. Now, Psalm 119, that long chapter, it's about the greatness of the word of God. So here you have in Psalm 19, the writer exalting the scriptures. It is true, it is right, it is perfect, it is pure. Why would someone not go to the Bible for advice, for direction, for help? Because the Bible is perfect like that. And so the writer of the Psalms is telling you it's a great book, it's a great scripture in times of fear, in times of worry, in times of uncertainty, fear of the future. Remember the word of God. Go to it because it is perfect. It's just what we need. And so the Psalms cover all kinds of feelings of a man and of a woman. It'll address a lot of things. Go to it. Now, the Psalms also address something else besides the greatness of Scripture. And this is kind of obvious. The greatness of the Scripture is exalted. But something else is exalted. The greatness of Timothy. That's not a surprise. The greatness of God is brought forth in the Psalms. The greatness of God is brought forth in the Psalms. Look at Psalm 46. This is just one verse to indicate how the Psalms are so needful for modern times and for modern men and for Christians because it promotes the one person everyone should promote as a Christian. Psalm 46 and verse number 10. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. And the Lord says this, I'm God, I am the God of gods. There are small gods on this earth that men have created 
and made up and imagined, but I'm the God of all gods. I'm the creator. He says, I will be exalted above all these other gods. None of them can come close to me because they are all fabricated. They're made up. Made up over here, made up over here. But I'm the one who made everything. The universe, everything. I'm the one that made you. And I'm the one that deserves the honor and the praise and the glory because I am God. And the Psalms promote the greatness of God. In the Psalms, the greatness of man is never promoted. Now, I could have put it like that. The greatness of man. No. In this world, man's greatness is pushed up. If a man does some great feat of sports or even perhaps science or medicine or industry, they deserve credit for that. Do you realize that the Industrial Revolution, a lot of it is... A lot, of that, a lot of that happened, it was inevitable that it would happen. The invention of certain things, uh, going way back to the wheel, the invention of the wheel, and then in the invention of the steam, the steam engine, steam power, what, all these kind of things, we benefit from it. And those who started it all, we should credit Henry Ford, we should credit others, we should credit those who were great industrialists of that time, because it was, it was because of them now, people can say it's because of greed. Well, whatever. Whatever. If it was greed, at least we benefited from the greed. Okay, I like the comforts of, the air, of an air conditioner, the comforts of a good rolling car that works properly when you turn the key and all these kind of things. I like the comfort of the safety of a home, construction materials that are now made so, so new, so modern, so really, really wow. People invented these things. When you look at, for example, construction, the construction of a home nowadays, it is so unreal what they use and how they can they can waterproof things and they can termite proof things and they can make things fireproof with the insulation, all these kind of things. It's amazing. Elevators, high rises, skyscrapers of New York City and Chicago, all of these things step at a time, one at a time, invention after invention. It's really fascinating. We give credit where credit is due, but above all else, we give credit to God for making us. Amen. We give credit to God for giving us the brain to come up with these ideas and these things. When they built the tabernacle, God gave men the skill to do all the work of the tabernacle. He gifted them with the knowledge and the know-how and how to organize and how to execute the plans that God gave Moses. And so you got to give them credit because it was done by man. However, Man does not worship another man. Man does not worship another man. Man does not exalt another man to the place of he is God. I heard a testimony of Muhammad Ali uh, at his at a memorial service. Uh, one of the famous comedians of the world was giving the a eulogy and talking about how great he was, and it was really interesting. However, it went a little bit overboard because it caused the world to who were watching this video to look at Muhammad Ali and say, what a great humanitarian he was. What a great man that he was. Here was a Muslim going to a Jewish family, this comedian, and they were getting along so fine. And everybody's clapping and how he was a champion for this cause and that cause. Now look, there's a place for everything. The thing that you want to understand when God says, be still and know that I am God, he's saying, 
He's not saying don't give credit to men for their goodness, okay? He's not saying that. He's saying, remember this, I'm God, and I'm the one that needs to be worshipped, not anybody else. And that's what the Psalms promote. It promotes the greatness of God. And uh, so through it all, through all the Psalms, through all the Psalms, you, you are seeing a God who is there to help a man who feels like there's no hope, David. God is there for a man who feels like I'm going to be killed by Saul. You're reading about a God who is there to encourage David's heart. And when David faced the giant Goliath, he had a lot of courage because prior to the facing of this giant man, he faced a lion and bear. And God helped him. God used the skills of little David to kill a lion and a bear. But David says, God did it. The same God who helped him and was with him is the same God that we should promote and exalt too. I am God. I am God. And so in modern times, we never forget that we owe everything to God. Amen. And we do not boast of ourselves, though we understand, like David used a sling and a rock, that was what God used to kill the giant. Those are the tools. Those are the vehicles that God used. Now, God could have easily just done this. Took off his head easily. He could have just done this, and his heart would stop beating Goliath. But God chose to use what was in David's hand a sling and a rock. He used his training, his skill, his practice, and practice and practice, his accuracy. God used that in abilities, in ingenuity, and in brains, and in met all these kind of things to just help other people, and God gets the glory. The net result is God gets the glory. You know, I laugh at these athletes who are so great. Touchdown, Super Bowl winner, yay, hero, yay. World Series struck out 45 players. Not possible, but uh, he, he's, he, oh, he's God, he's God, he's God. No, he's not. He just has ability that's God-given. He needs to give God the credit for it. All right, so the greatness of God is seen throughout the Psalms, and God is the one you meet every day. He's the one that can meet your needs every day as well. Now, here's what one good writer that I like said this about the Psalms. The Psalms, quote, the Psalms teach us to hear or to have a personal relationship with God. Again, the Psalms teach us, the reader, to have a personal relationship with God. When you read the Psalms, it makes you realize I need to have a connection to God. I need to have myself a connection to God as we tell him our hurts and our needs and as we meditate on his greatness and glory that's why you read the psalms because it is personal it's like god wrote you a letter personally dear so and so i heard you talk to me the other night i know how you feel i have gone through the same things that you are going through now you have been misunderstood, my son, my daughter, my child, and it seems like everyone's against you. It's like God has written your personal letter in the Psalms. That's why the Psalms are good to read. Now, you and I should know our doctrine, and here's what I think can happen to a church like even our church. We can get so, so strong on doctrine. We can get so strong on correcting false teaching, and we should. We should never let false teaching be tolerated. We should never let false practices be 
tolerated in the name of love. But while we're strong about doctrine and standing for the truth and correcting truth and saying, here's what the Bible says, we've got to be very careful not to make a mistake. The mistake is that we become very cold and hard-hearted about things that happen to us, things that happen to people. We need to have a soft, tender heart towards circumstances that we go through and not become bitter against God. And then too, when people go through trouble, we should have compassion to be able to help them when we can help them. The Psalms will help you have a kind heart. The Psalms will help your heart to be tender. The Psalms will help your heart to be very, very long-suffering, very, very patient with people and with yourself. Um, and that's what the Psalms does, does for you. You should never neglect the Psalms. A good habit would be to read every day a proverb, proverb chapter one or a few verses of a, of a proverb. Also, during your day, read a Psalm. A good habit is to read a Psalm and then read some New Testament book. That'll give you balance. New Testament, Psalms, Proverbs, or Proverbs from Psalms. Read a little bit of each one. It'll help you have balance. Now, when I get into a part of the Bible, I stick to it. I am still way in the Old Testament because I have taken so many notes reading. I'm, I'm stuck in 2 Samuel, and this is almost November. I am so stuck in 2 Samuel it's because I was stuck in 1 Samuel. I was not stuck because I was spinning my wheels. I was stuck because I was checking up all these kind of things and trying to digest all that I was reading. And I'm, I'm typing on my word process all these things, so don't forget these things. I'm throwing things here on my spreadsheet, so don't forget where they are. I can get to it when I want to get to it, when I need to get to that. I have been so stuck. And then so I went to the book of Revelation to teach on Wednesday night. I was excited about going to Revelation because I was in the Old Testament. And then I got kind of tired of the revelation because I felt that you were tired of the revelation. And I feel kind of weird about teaching it now. I only got through uh, two churches of the chapter two of Revelation. I have got a long way to go. I'm going to pick it up again. But then I thought, you know, I think I'm missing something here. I need to go back to the Psalms. And I thought about that only because of little David. Because of what David is going to go through, what he has been going through, and how we emphasize praying for David. And how we're trusting God to bring David through this heart surgery. Mm -hmm. And all of those things for the last two and a half, three weeks has caused me, to remember, caused me to think about this. We need to think about our relationship to God through the Psalms. We need to have balance in our life. We can't just master one thing and neglect other things. We must go back to the scriptures, the Old Testament, and then the Psalms is a good book to go to. And whether you agree or not, I think you agree with me. I think you realize that the Psalms are good for our hearts. Right. It is good for our hearts. You cannot be right and yet be wrong in how you think about things or feelings and so on. You've got to keep it all consistent. Now, I want you to see one more thing here about the Psalms. Uh, come to Psalm chapter 16. Psalm chapter 16. Psalm chapter 16. Here is something, a truth in Psalm 16 that the writer brings out. Psalm 16. And look at verse number, oh, let's go land on verse number 8. 16, 8. 
I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand and I shall not be moved. Therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh, my flesh also shall rest in hope. For thou would not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Verse number 10 is prophetic about Jesus Christ who would be crucified. But this is also David writing this, also saying that God would not leave him abandoned. He would not abandon him. He would not leave him destitute. He would not leave him forsaken. And in verse number eight, I have set the Lord always before me because he is, because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. And so the Psalm is talking about how God is faithful. In the Psalms, you find out that God is faithful, that he never leaves his child, regardless of that child's circumstance. Now, sometimes when a child goes through a bad circumstance, they feel like their parents have abandoned them. They feel like nobody understands them, especially if they are young children. Now, it is quite normal for a young child, even a teenager especially, a teenager especially, still young, a teenager can feel like he has been abandoned and that there's no reason to live anymore. Now, there are songs that were written in the 40s and 50s that are good songs. They're not Christian songs, but they're good songs. They're innocent songs. It's about life. It's about my heart's broken because this guy said he loves me, this girl says she loves me, and then all of a sudden there's another pretty girl, another pretty, not a pretty guy, but another guy, and then uh, there's, there's uh, you know, back then it was called going, We're Going Together. We're going together. It's a, it's an American thing where uh, you're mine, but we're not really engaged. We're too young to be engaged, but you're mine. We're going steady, but we're not really going steady. But you know, I have this friendship ring that you wear, and that tells all my girlfriends that you belong to me. But it's not anything big. It's just, it's just teenage stuff. But then when this guy, who says he loves her with all of his heart, in the first semester, by the second semester. He has changed his mind because there's another girl he's met in the school and now he doesn't feel such affection for this girl. You know how this girl feels? The song's written about these kind of things. She says, the song says, why does the world go on spinning? Why did these eyes of mine cry? Don't they know it's the end of the world? It ended when you said goodbye. I wake up in the morning and I wonder why everything's the same as it was. I can't understand, no, I can't understand why life goes on as it does. You know what that's about? It's about a broken heart. It's about a teenage girl who fell in love with this guy, and this guy has no brains, he has no sense, he has no, no idea what real love is. He thinks he's in love, but he's not. And so, teenagers are like that in many ways. And so her heart's broken. The song's about a girl with a broken heart. Now, she feels like she's abandoned. She feels like this, I cannot live anymore. And the Psalms is telling us when people feel like that as adults, there's God at your right hand. And that tells us this. The Psalms emphasize that God is faithful even though people are not. Even though people break our hearts. Even though people disappoint us. Do you know that in the life of David, so many times he disappointed people. 
He had a general named Joab. You know, Joab was a very faithful general and officer to him. And when David committed sin, he tried to cover it up. The way to cover it up was to kill the husband of Bathsheba. Uriah the Hittite was a faithful warrior servant of David and of Israel. And so General Joab was told, when you go to the heat of the battle, withdraw. Withdraw. Leave, leave uh, Uriah at the front all alone. Withdraw. Well, that's sure death. But he survived. And he, he told him, okay, bring him home for some honor for some leave time. And he would not go home. And David says, what's wrong with you? You can spend time with your family, but you won't do that. What's wrong with you? He said, sir, your majesty, how can I enjoy the comforts of my home when my own men are out there suffering in battle? I cannot enjoy my home while my men who have families cannot enjoy me being home. I don't know why you brought me home. Why don't you bring the other men home too? See, so the man had a lot of character. Joab, Joab knew something was up. But he was a, he was a subordinate to the king. And he could not tell him, he could not disobey an order. The thing is, David disappointed Joab. Joab knew something was fishy over here. David did that a lot. People disappointed David a lot. You remember his own son, Absalom, tried to take his throne. Absalom sat at the gate where people come through. You know what Absalom did? Absalom was a pretty, pretty good-looking guy. Absalom was a pretty good-looking guy. The Bible says that Absalom was a pretty good-looking guy. He had long hair. And he was good-looking. Yes, he did, didn't he? He had long hair. He was a good-looking guy. Muscles. Ooh. He goes, Absalom. Oh, boy. He is such a good-looking guy. You know, silly girls, silly girls, silly girls. They think that a guy's good-looking. That means he's a good guy. Well, he began to undermine the authority of David. So many people let David down. Even his own children. And so many people he let down. Back and forth. But you know what you find out when David writes the Psalms? He finds out that God is at his right hand. You will find out that God's at your right hand too, even though it seems like he's not. Many times David thought, God, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? I can't find you. I don't feel you. You know, people today say, you feel me? You know that expression, you feel me? It's kind of like, why don't you just talk right? You feel me? Why don't you just say, do you understand what I'm saying? Instead, you feel me, you feel me, you feel me. I don't want to feel you. I want to understand you. I don't want to feel David was saying, even though I didn't feel God, I knew as a fact that he's at my right hand. And the Psalms will bring you back to that reality that God is always with you. He is faithful. And so that's how the Psalms play out. It, it, it pulls you back to who you are and who God is and how you should trust him because he is faithful. I'll tell you this story. Can I tell you a story? Can I tell you a story? Raise your hand if I can tell you a story. Okay, well, uh, you're outnumbered. Sorry, I won't tell you the story. I'll ask again. Can I tell you a story? Yes. Okay. 
the yeas have it. The first time my wife and I took off to the meeting, we had missionaries does for recent support. And so um, that's long done now because we get support from the church, but we're on the road recent support. We once we once drove from North Carolina, North here's how it works out. So do you know where we are now? This is the United States. This is the Great Lakes. This is Texas. This is Florida. This is uh, the communist country of California. Okay, USSR. We, we drove from North Carolina up to here, went across here, went up to Canada, through Idaho, came back down Washington State, come down Oregon, come down the California coast like that. Came down to San Diego, went back this way. We came up, we we're, were coming on Interstate 20. All interstate highways with an even number goes east and west. All odd numbers goes north and south, interstate. And we were heading back to where we started, right there. That was our goal. Foolish me, a lot of zeal but no money. We're going to be preaching along the way and you get love offering to help you along the way. When we over here in El Paso, Texas, we left El Paso, Texas, which is like a place you'd never want to be in. That is like going to Siberia in America. Yes, sir. We're driving over here and it dawned on me, we don't have any money. And we did have some money. Back then, no credit cards. Everything was cash. No credit cards, cash. I had a wallet full of cash when we began over here. But even though gas was cheap and multis were cheap, after a while, you begin to run out of money. So we're going along over here, and then we, we, we're heading toward Dallas, Texas. I couldn't tell how many miles it was, but on Interstate 20 from El Paso to Dallas, Texas, it is like forever. You drive and you drive and it's like driving across the Mongolian desert. No hope. Well, we stopped at this place along the way, some small town. It was beyond a town called Midland, Odessa. We left Midland, Odessa. We stopped at this, at this, there's a lot of gas stations on the highway, mom and pop type, not big name. We stopped at this, at this dinosaur place. They had a dinosaur picture, dinosaur posters, dinosaur um, plywood things, and gas was like 39 cents a gallon. That's how long ago it was. We stopped over there. I filled up the tank of gas. I had a 1976 Chevy Nova, six-cylinder car, blue, two-door, vinyl seats. Not a good choice, but I bought one. That was back in Hawaii. Shipped it to California, drove it down to Long Beach, and that's where it began our journey anyway. We're driving along the way, I was getting so many miles per fill up, 280 maybe, for example. We fill up, we're driving here on Interstate 20, heading to North Carolina. As we come to El Paso, uh, Midland, Odessa, and just outside of the east of it, we stopped to get our last fill up of gas. After that, I had some change. I had $3, $3, $3 after fill up the gas, $3. At that same place, they had a burrito special. 
three burritos for 99 cents. We bought three burritos for 99 cents. We ate that, grilled that. As we're coming along over here, I'm not telling my wife. Um, <clears throat> um, <laughs> um, huh. I'm looking at the map. Back then, you have to look at the map, how far you have to go to the next town. It's very accurate. Getting into Dallas, Texas, that area, it was so many hundreds of miles. And there was a pastor there in a place called Garland, Texas, which is a suburb of Dallas, Texas. Months before, he said, hey, if you ever come through, just give me a call. We'll put you up, which means we'll put you up to a place to sleep for the night. We'll put, if you ever come by, just give us a call. I got his number. I'm coming through here. No cell phones at the time. I'm driving up over here. I'm looking at my, my gas gauge. I'm kind of keep the car steady, the, the accelerator steady so I can get as much much. I'm hoping for a tailwind to push us through. And we were coming in on fumes to this little place called Garland, Texas. It was now dark. And my, my fuel gauge was going down toward Elvis, toward empty. And I'm real scared because we're young, kind of not too smart. Well, of you were not too smart. And now she's, she knows what's going on now. We finally pulled over to um, a little town and we called the number from a pay phone. Remember our pay phone? Remember those things? We called from a pay phone. Called from a pay phone. I called the number that this pastor gave to me. His assistant named Chester Beavers answers it. And he says, I said, you know, I'm so-and-so. I talked to Pastor Green. He says, next time I come through, just let him know. So we're coming through. And I said, yeah, a place for us to stay. I didn't say it to him, we're broke. He said, oh yeah, sure, just come out, give me directions, had to write it down. We drove, we limped into town, we limped into town, and the church had property, they had a guest room, a guest building for an apartment for people who passed through. Common thing to do for them. And so we got over there, so dark after eight o'clock, and then uh, Chester Beaver meets, meets us, the assistant, and he gets us into the room, unlocks the door, let us get settled in. He gives us $20. Back then, $20 was a lot of money. And so we got something to eat. Next day, I don't know what day it was, but uh, I got to preach in church or something like that. But anyway, we have enough money to go back to North Carolina after that. All in that time, it was really like spooky. We didn't have enough sense to understand everything because we're young. And what we did find out was, even though we were not so smart, we realized that God saw us through. He gave us extra miles for the car. Amen. And he got us to, prior to that, a phone number was given to us so we could call this man. So we got a place to stay that night and so on. And I think it was in February, so it's really kind of cold, icy cold, as we got into Dallas, Texas. Anyway, then we got to North Carolina. Mm -hmm. So even though we didn't feel like, we felt we were out of the will of God sometimes, I think. At least I may have thought that. But God was at our side. The Psalms pull us back to the fact that God is with us and He is faithful even though we're not so smart. He's not with you because you're smart. He's not with you because you are spiritual. He's not with you because you think everything you're doing is right. He's with you no matter what you're doing. Because He said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Hebrews 13, verse number 5. And so the Psalms are good to read. I encourage you to read some psalms, begin anywhere, it's good, and then I will try to cover some more of the psalms, more details about 
what the Psalms emphasize and how God is faithful and God is our protector, God is our strength, God is our rock. All those kind of images that God gives because that's what he is to the believer. If you thought getting saved was the most important thing, you're right. But then don't stop there. The next most important thing to being saved is to know that you have a God that is with you at your right side. Amen. That's important for you to know too. When things are good, as I often say, you don't feel like you need the Lord, but when things go bad, you got to remember, He has never left you. He's still by your side. Right. Go back to His Word. Remember and renew your relationship with Him. And it'll be better when you face your trials. Your trials may not go away, but you can face them better. And that's important. And sometimes He would take away the heavy load, and sometimes He give you the strength to carry the heavy load. It all depends. Sometimes God answers very quickly. Sometimes He answers very slowly. Sometimes He answers directly. And sometimes He answers in a roundabout way. See? And you find that out when you read the Psalms. So keep your heart soft by reading the Psalms. Take your own notes. Take your own notes. Whatever you do, take your own notes. So you don't forget these things. If you can mark your Bible in the margins, write down verse references to connect things that'll be very helpful to you and so um, the Psalms are going to be something we'll go through for the next few Wednesday nights I just feel like we need to do that and so it has helped me already and I hope it will help you as well okay it's not just what you know it is important how you feel because God brings you delight he brings you joy he brings you gladness he brings you encouragement he brings you hope that's feeling and that's good to have. That's good to have. When I think about politics, here's how I think. Ladies and gentlemen, I think like this. It is hopeless when I think of politics. And when I think about how evil people get away with literally murder, it is very discouraging to me. I'm thinking, well, really, what's the use? Well, for me to have the attitude is a defeatist attitude because it's like somebody saying, well, I'm not going to vote because we're, they're all the same. That is not true, but that's how you can feel. I understand that feeling. I need to remember that God is overall, and He, even though we, we don't put our confidence in, in flesh and in the man, God uses people to accomplish His will. Right. And so when you vote smart, and when you pray about things, and you vote, and you want people who are in there to be a help and a blessing and, and help the people, the country of America, and make it a strong sovereign nation then uh, God can do some good things but if people are just slack lazy and have the attitude well they're all the same what should I even vote you are asking for more trouble and then you say when trouble comes well that was God's will maybe it wasn't maybe it's because God could not do what he wanted to do because people are not responsible to do what they should have done so you should always vote if you can now Timothy you don't have to vote because you can't Okay, but I'm going to vote. Us adults are going to vote because it's our privilege and our right to vote. And whether it is the outcome that we want or not, we should be responsible anyway. Right. And so we should pray and vote. And um, I hate to tell you this, but there's some bad people running for office. Right. Yes. And there are some good people running for office. That's right, too. They're not all the same. And if we are to have God bless our country or at least have mercy on the country, it'll be through men too. Mm. It'll be through men as well. 
Never forget that. Um, just to let you know how we are trusting in man to do a good job for things. And as we pray about things, um, I told you my AC went out on Wednesday. It was a very bad thing because the car is fogging up, coming down leaky leaky, and I stopped, pulled, pulled over two times, wiped so I could see. I could not see. It's like I'm in the fog. Then so finally got the car down to the shop on Monday. They um, tested it out, pumped it up at Freon. I bring back three weeks to see if there's any leaks. And uh, he gave me um, a worst case scenario. He said, may not be, we'll see if it holds. So bring it back in three weeks. So I'm gonna take them back in three weeks to see if it's okay. If it's not okay, then this is what's gonna happen. Well, I don't want the bad thing to happen like he's, uh, he's suggesting. He's, he's forewarning me in case, in case we have to do this in case. So I'm preparing my mind to have to go through that in case. But you know what? What I tell you, I should tell myself, and I have. I need to just remember who's on my side. Right. Uh, bad or good, good or bad. Okay? It can't all be what I want. But I know one thing. The Psalms tell me God is faithful. Amen. And we put our confidence in Him and not let circumstances discourage us. The Yankees are so discouraged tonight. The New York Yankees. The New York Yankees are so discouraged because great year, yet they missed everything. Okay? Less than sports. But you know something? We may we may face disappointments, but it's different from a little ball game. Because we're talking about real life here. We're not talking about some privilege. We're talking about real life. David pulls through. We'll be so happy. Perfect surgery. We'll be so happy. But if the Lord doesn't let that happen, then there will be something to live with in regards to the surgery. Still, we have to remember God is at our right hand. So we're going to be praying that God will be at the right hand of the surgeons. There's a painting that you ought to see. Go online. Look for the painting of, I think the title is the captain of your ship. It's about a sailor in an old whaling vessel. He's on the, the wheel. And there's Jesus Christ next to him with his hand on his shoulder. And kind of like a, not a quite full image, but like a, a spiritual image, okay? In other words, the picture is trying to portray God is at your right hand for this captain of this sailing vessel. That's the idea. And the Psalms are bringing it back to that. So let's go through the Psalms on Wednesday nights, okay? Let's find some good encouragement for our own selves. All right? Okay. Thank you, Lord, for the Word of God. We pray that you'd help it to be a blessing to us. We need to be strong in our doctrine and truth and always be firm about false teaching and careful about allowing it to sneak into the church. While that goes on, while we must be steadfast about that, we need to be careful to not let our hearts become rock hard mm. to circumstances of life where we don't have any heart, any compassion, any feeling. Everything is intellectual, mechanical. We need to have heart. We need to have feeling, emotion. We need to have genuineness about us so that we are moved by what moves you and that we can see you in the Psalms and that we can look at our circumstances and go through it with your help because you're at our side and you're faithful. Help us remember that because you are there, but help us to remember that. 
We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.